Welcome to Redeemer's Church Weekly Message Podcast, where our mission is simple. We are a church that is passionate about loving God and loving people. And now, we hope you enjoyed this week's message by Pastor Caleb Schaefer. Well, good morning. We're going to jump right into it. Do you got your Bibles? So nobody. Awesome. We're not at church. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And uh, if you haven't, uh, if you've been here over the last several weeks, Pastor Dwight did a absolutely fantastic series on living faith. It was just so good. And um, so this passage, I believe, is one he referred to last week. We're going to go into it a little bit more. Um, But this passage, Matthew 6, is a part of the Uh, what is known right now, or known today, as the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is speaking to thousands on a mountainside. And uh, this particular sermon spans three chapters, over 100 verses, and 19 different topics, which is to say that if you think Pastor Dwight and I are long-winded in our preaching and teaching, we're just following in the footsteps of Jesus. Notice that Pastor Dwight was the only one that said amen. Wow. That really went over well. Okay, it says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Passion Translation says, For your heart will always pursue what you treasure. Your heart will always pursue what you treasure. And skip down to verse 24. It says, No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And this is the key phrase for the service or for the series. You cannot, say cannot. Cannot. You cannot serve both God and mammon. God and mammon. This morning, I'd like to begin this series uh, for two weeks. We're going to take a break next week to talk about fathers, but we'll conclude this series the last Sunday of June. But I want to focus for two weeks, two messages on the topic, God and mammon. God and mammon. So let's get started, but before we do, let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you can speak what I can't. You can do what I can't. You can impart what I can't. Father, you're the one that reveals Jesus. Lord, you do it all. And so God, as we open up your word, I pray that you will speak through the scriptures. Pray that you would speak through my mouth. Pray that I would be a vessel. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would receive what you are trying to impart to us this morning. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. In the spring of 2007, I had one of the most nerve-wracking conversations that I have ever had in my life up to this date in my young years. It was in the front yard of 6884 Prior Place, and I was asking Pastor Dwight for his permission and his blessing to marry his daughter, now my wife of almost 16 years, Allison. And I was absolutely nervous. I remember it like it was yesterday. My knees were weak. My palms were sweaty. There was vomit on my sweater already. Mom's... Never mind. Never mind. Some of you got no. <laughs> Some of y'all could have continued, but we'll stop. No, um, I literally was nervous, though. My palms were sweaty. My heart was racing. And my voice was cracking all over again like I was going through phase two of puberty. And so it was, Pastor Dwight knew the conversation was coming. So that was awkward in and of itself. You don't know how to expose the elephant in the front yard. And so it's just like, so um, I came here to talk to you about. 
So I remember this conversation very fondly, particularly two distinct moments in the conversation. The first was that I remember was that he looked at me and up to this point, what you have to understand is that he was not father-in-law. This was Allison's father. Primarily, my interactions and experience with Pastor Dwight was he was my pastor, the loving guy, the fun guy. But this moment, there was no humor. He said, if you ever lay a hand on her, I will lay a hand on you. And I was like, Where's the unconditional love, Pastor? <laughs> no. But I get it now because I've got a daughter. And when you got daughters, things are different. That's right. And so I remember there was this heart to protect. And the second, the second distinct memory from this conversation was the question he posed to me, which was, what are you going to do to provide? And I felt like, you ever, you, ever be, you ever watch like a town hall meeting with a politician that doesn't know the question's coming? And so they just start to like, well, thank you so much for asking that question right now. And they're just buying time so they can think of a good answer. I had not even considered that. Like when you're caught up, all you're thinking about is like, can I just get married? Well, what are you going to do to provide? Um, work? <laughs> Duh, like, I don't know. I didn't really know. I had a job at the time. It was a part-time job. I worked at UPS, throwing around boxes. Don't ever get your stuff from UPS if you can, because I've been there. I see how it works. <laughs> They'd be playing some wild games with those boxes. Kobe. And um, so I, didn't have a, I had a job at the time, but I didn't really know what was going on. And so I'm just trying to come up in the moment with a, a question sufficient enough to be like, can you just let me marry your daughter? <laughs> And so uh, he does allow me, gives me permission, the blessing. And so uh, I uh, proposed to Allison on May 5th, which happened to be a significant date for Allison and I's relationship. And I asked her, I said, do you know what today is? And she was like, Cinco de Mayo. It's <laughs> like, no, that too. But do you also know the significance of the date in our relationship? <laughs> this is so Allison, by the way. And so, so we do that. And uh, she says, yes, at the end of that month, I graduated from Ohio State University. And I dedicated the summer. This is the, going to be the summer where I figure out how I'm going to be the provider. And so in my mind, in my limited ability, I'm thinking about where I'm going to get a job. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if I always reference Seinfeld, but there's this, this episode where George Costanza doesn't know what he's going to do. And he's sitting down with Jerry Seinfeld. And he's like, well, you know, I'd love to, like, manage a baseball team. And he's like... That's not really realistic, but, you know. So I'm like, well, you know, I got a degree, like maybe, you know, personal banking or something. And so I sit down and I start to, like, put a resume together on how a history education major will become a banker. <laughs> and I thought it would make sense. I thought, I thought, like, hey, I got a degree. Like, don't just hire me. No experience whatsoever. So I, I think about that and I apply nothing. Then I'm thinking, well, maybe I can work for McGraw-Hill, which is an educational textbook company, and I can help like, format the history you know, part of the book. So I apply there, nothing. And then I'm starting to think, okay, well, I got this pressure, right? Like It's the countdown to where we're going to get married. I need to figure out how I'm going to provide. And uh, so I think to myself, well, you know what? What about if I go back to my high school alma mater and I apply there? And... How great would that be for someone to go through the school, graduate, and then come back and teach? And so I reach out to uh, one of my former teachers who happens to now be the principal at the high school. And I asked him, hey, you know, would you be, you know, are you guys hiring? And he says, yes. And so I, I submit my resume. I turn my application in. I schedule a phone interview. I have the phone interview. Everything goes well. And by this time, I'm like, I'm about to be a provider, y'all. I made it happen. I'm going to get enough money to be able to provide. I'm going to be able to look at Pastor Dwight and be like, hey, I made it happen. <laughs> and so they call me back, and they give me an offer. And they offer me a full salary. It was more money than I had ever made to that point. 
and I was so pumped about it. They had weeks of vacation off. I was like, this is just going to work perfectly because Allison's going into education too, so both of us can have the whole summer off. It was going to be awesome. And, you know, vacation days, everything, perk after perk after perk, with one tiny contingency. One just small one. This place that I graduated from also happened to be a church. And the contingency was this. We're going to offer you this position dependent upon you becoming a member here at the church, leaving the youth ministry that you serve in. And this was, quote, because we see your involvement in your church as a conflict of interest here. If you were to continue to serve in the youth ministry there, you could potentially pull kids from our church to come and attend at your church. I was devastated because I had put all of my eggs into this basket. This is the way. I don't know any other way to make the money. All of my eggs were in this one basket. I was hoping and planning on it all to happen this way. So I remember after probably 10, 15 seconds of silence, which happens to be a really long time on a phone, I was like, I just got to call you. I, can I call you back? Because I can't answer this right now. So I get the phone, I, you know, uh, at that time, put it back on the hook. <laughs> and, and I'm just like, what am I going to do? Like, I was so stressed, so worried. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Now here's, keep in mind, like, I didn't want to be any, at any other church. Like, this is where I wanted to be. Now, there's gravity to this one decision, because the truth is, is had I would have taken that job, I would not be here talking to you right now. And the decision in the moment, and I want you to hear me, the decision in the moment was a huge one. Do I choose where I feel God is calling me to be, or do I follow money? Even if the source of the money is a Christian institution. Do I follow God, or do I follow good? Because they're not always the same. And so I'm stuck in this moment. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I'm wrestling with the reality that I know this is where God has called me. However, I, I'm starting to feel the weight of responsibility of being a provider. I put all of my eggs in this basket. I don't know where I'm going to go if I don't accept this position. But nevertheless, I know the decision that I may, need to make, and so I call them later. I tell them much to their surprise and extreme disappointment. I tell them, no, I'm not going to be able to take the job. And so that conversation was awkward and uncomfortable. I finished that conversation. And then to put icing on the cake, one of my other teachers calls me to express how disappointed they are in me that I didn't take the job. Thanks for the encouragement in the moment. That's exactly what I need right now. So those next couple days were really dark because I'm like, what am I going to do? Like, we're going to get married in November. This is mid to late July. I don't know what to do. So I keep on doing what I'm doing, and I'm praying now because I have to, I have to admit that before that, part of just being a man is you're like, I just got to figure this out. And a lot of times in life, we just try to figure stuff out on our own. Within our own limited ability, our own limited resources, our own limitations about what to do, where to go, how to see this situation. So at that time, I start praying, God, I don't know what to do, but I trust you. I don't know. A couple days later, a friend of mine reaches out and says, hey man, why don't you apply at this Columbus, alternative, uh, Columbus Public Alternative Charter School? I don't know anybody in this school. I know people that have worked there before, but I don't know anybody. So I walk right into the school. I got my resume. I speak to the principal. They say they're hiring. 
fill out the application, everything. And they, <laughs> they offer me, they offer me a kindergarten teacher's job. <laughs> now, at the time, I'm like, yes. Because I'm like, what else am I going to do? I better figure out how to teach, teach little children. Good thing my wife is an early education, you know, major. So I'm like, I got to figure this out. So I'm like, yes. Now, I remember sitting in that kindergarten classroom so over my head. I'm like, what am I going to do here? This was before the, the school actually, like, it's before it actually started. But I'm like, I don't even know what to do. Where do I put the alphabet? Tell me where to put the alphabet in the room. And a couple days later, the principal comes to me and says, hey, we found someone for the kindergarten position. Praise Jesus. <laughs> what we're going to offer you is a full-time in-school substitute teaching position at a teacher's salary. Now, I gladly accepted that. <laughs> because if you know, it's about, at that time it was about $70 a day. But now I have a full-time teaching salary to be an in-house substitute. There were days where like, honestly, my job was to go get the principal some lunch real quick. And I'm getting paid as a full-time teacher. Same benefits, better health, all these different things. But here's what I learned in that moment. I learned in that moment, I am not my provider. God is my provider. And God works beyond the limitations of my sight, the limitations of what I know to do. He opens doors that no man can close and closes doors that no man can open. He's got way more resources available and connections to make on your behalf that you don't even know. But often, we are so limited to what we think we're supposed to do to make things happen. And it was in that moment that I believed and I started to experience for one of the first times in my life that I am not alone in my efforts to provide because God is my provider. It was in that moment, but one of the scriptures that Paul spoke that was, became very real to me, and Pastor Dwight has said this more, more often than not many times, it says, my God will supply all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. My God. He said, he said my God. You've heard Pastor Dwight say that before. My God. He personalized God. Until you have God provide for you in a way that you don't see, he's not that personal. It was in that moment, listen, it was in that moment when I realized this is not just everybody's God, this is my God now. My God will provide all of my needs according to his provision. I love what Pastor Tony Evans said. Listen to this. He said, you have only one source, one provider, and that is God. Amen. He uses many different mechanisms through which he makes the provision. Listen, for the prophet Elijah, there were days where he was fed by ravens sent from God. Then there were days that he was fed bread in the home of a poor widow that she made from flour that never ran out but never confuse the resources that he uses as your source. God is the source. The resources are just the different ways he uses to provide for you. And often, you know where we put God in a box and we limit our faith? We try to prime the pump and mine the same way that he provided in the past and anticipating that in the future. But let me tell you, the resource that he used to provide for you is not the source. He's the source, so he don't be surprised if he uses different resources that you don't even see coming. He's way more creative. He's way more able. God is my provider, and let me tell you, God is your provider. 
I don't know if you know this, but the song that we sang today, Jaira, that means God is my provider. You know what I love about God? For those of you that don't understand why we read the Old Testament, the Old Testament, time after time, was the place where God decided, I am going to describe who I am to my people. And he showed up in the Old Testament and he said, hey, I want you to know me as Jireh. I want you to know me as God and provider. He wants to be our provider in the same way that he was all of Israel's provider in the Old Testament. But here's the problem. You want to know one of the greatest threats to God being your provider? It's mammon. It's mammon. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. What is mammon? Now, most English translations, probably all of you, when you read that passage from Matthew 6, you saw the word money. You saw the word money. Most English translations of Scripture substitute the word money in place of mammon, but there's a lot more to what Jesus was saying in Matthew 6 than just making that. Listen, this is what we need to understand. Money is what Jesus called mammon when we make it the thing we seek as the primary source of our identity, security, significance, happiness, and joy. Mammon is what Jesus called money when we make it the thing that we seek as the primary source, the top source, the preeminent source of our identity, security, significance, happiness, and joy. That's what mammon is. It's the idea of placing more faith in your money as your provider than God as your provider. Let me just, let me just de-elevate money in your mind. Money is not your source. It's just a resource. It is just a resource in the same way that ravens were a resource sent by God to feed Elijah. It is a resource. It is not the source. Money is something that we made up. We ascribed a value to paper. And do you know what Revelations 18 says? There will be a day where you won't even be able to use the paper to buy or sell. You cannot serve both God and mammon. So we need to understand where, who our source is and where all of this comes from. Let me tell you where mammon came from. The history of mammon is this. Mammon is a Babylonian word. It's a Babylonian word that was used to describe money, wealth, Riches as a God. The Jews who were listening to Jesus speaking, they would have been familiar what mammon was from their time, Israel's time in Babylonian exile. They would have known who mammon was. Now, Babylonian culture, we know this, came to be known first by what? Building the Tower of Babel. What was the idea behind Babel? Hey, if I can build something that goes as high as God, guess who I don't need anymore? I don't need God if I can build something to get up to where he is. If I can literally physically elevate myself to the same place in the heavens that God is, guess what? I am proving I don't need God. And this is the culture that the concept of mammon came from, which is to say what was preached in Babylonian culture is if you got money, you don't need God. Money can be your provider. You don't need him. See, mammon, listen, mammon preaches a message and it still preaches a message today. This is the message of mammon. As long as you have money, you don't need God. Money is what gives you significance. Money can buy you happiness. Money gives you identity because without money, what are you without your possessions? You know the problem with money is that often 
You possess money, but in time, money possesses you. You know what that is? That's mammon. Money can buy you happiness. Money gives you identity because without money, what are you without your possessions? Money is your provider. Money is what will take care of you. If you don't have what you need to live, money can get it for you. Mammon is what makes you think that if you had more money, people would listen to you. If you had more money, you'd be happier. If you had more money, your marriage would be better. If you had more money, you'd be able to help more people. But let me tell you, if you don't help people now, you won't help them then. <laughs> Mammon is not generous, young people. And I said young because they said y'all were old. <laughs> Mammon is not generous. Mammon is greedy. Mammon will try to get you. And by the way, I understand why there's only a couple people amen in me because in the only place where you can't talk about money is the church. And often, if you go on YouTube, you'll find a whole bunch of teaching on money that is absolutely manipulated, twisted, and evil. But please hear me out today. Because I'm not trying to increase our tithe today. I'm not trying to get more offerings. I'm not trying to conjure up and manipulate. I'm trying to get you to understand that God is more faithful for your trust than the trust you put in your money. He is a provider. So Mammon will try to get you to trust more in money, what money can provide for you than what God can provide for you. The message of Mammon is that God cannot take care of you like money can. And it's not just a mindset. It's an anti-God spirit that tries to get you to trust more in money as your provider than God as your provider. As Derek Prince said, he said, Mammon is the spiritual influence behind the pursuit of money, the pursuit of it, the chasing of it. Listen to me this morning. Mammon's purpose is to capture your heart by convincing you that money is what you should be pursuing. But let me remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. That's where money, that's where mammon takes you. But store up treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, here's the thing that we need to understand about money. Are you still with me today? And I need everybody to get this. Mammon plants its seeds in your personal poverty. Mammon plants its seeds in your personal poverty. When you're poor and you really need money, you start to elevate the value of it. Because you're poor. You're broke. I can't get what other people are getting so easily. That's where mammon starts to take its root. It tries to put a deep fear in your heart that you are not going to be taken care of, that you're not going to have enough money, so you must spend a lot of time and energy pursuing it and acquiring it. That's where it's planted. Do you want to know why the rich young ruler walked away sad after Jesus told him to sell everything that he had and give it to the poor? Here's why. It was mammon. The rich young ruler's wealth had become his primary source of identity, security, significance, happiness, joy, and he could not deal with who he would be without everything that he had accumulated for himself. That's why Jesus said, and he walked away Grieved because of what? Because he had much wealth. He couldn't part with the world that had been created because of the wealth that he had gained. It was mammon. What was the devil offering Jesus in Matthew chapter 4? If you will sit down and worship me, I will give you all of the world and its glory. The enemy was offering Jesus mammon. If mammon had a gospel, are you getting it yet? If mammon had a gospel, it would include verses like this. Where does my help come from? My help comes from money. Money is my shepherd. When I have it, I shall not want. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, money will comfort me. Money is an ever-present help in time of 
need. Money gives me peace that passes understanding. People perish for a lack of money, and my money shall supply all my needs according to my ability to acquire it. But there is a problem with the message of mammon, and here's what it is. Money does not deliver on the promises that mammon preaches. It doesn't. You know why? Here's why. Because when I've had a whole bunch of, uh, not even a whole bunch, what am I even even talking about? When I've had a little bit of extra money, and in my mind it's inflated to be a whole bunch, and then I sit down and I pay the bills, I realize that wasn't a whole lot of money. (laughs) So you know what your knee-jerk reaction is? i got to get more money. It doesn't deliver on the promise. Mammon does not deliver on the promise that it preaches. How do I know that? Because you'll never have enough money. Now listen, you've got to think about this. You will never have enough money because mammon will tell you that you need more to convince you to continue the sixth cycle of the pursuit. And as a result, mammon eventually becomes your master. Here's the problem with having, with getting more money, is you start to be afraid of losing it all. So what's the solution? Get more. What's the solution? Get more. Then you get more, more, and then you're worried and anxious and afraid about losing what you have, and you can't let that happen because poverty is where mammon planted the seeds. I don't ever want to go back to that bitter root judgment place, so I will do everything I can to prevent that from ever happening. And guess what? Mammon is your master, and you are a slave for the rest of your life. That's why Jesus said... What profit is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? That is the reality of someone that pursues and believes the message that mammon is preaching. You never get enough. Money is a deceiver. Listen to what the wealthy have said about riches. John W. Rockefeller, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. W.H. Vanderbilt, Taking care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. I don't even know if I got my my place value right. (laughs) Henry Ford, I was happier when doing a mechanics job. J.H. Howitt, listen to this. Money will buy a bed but not sleep. Books but not brains. Food but not an appetite, expensive clothes but not beauty, a house but not a home, medicine but not health, amusement but not happiness, religion but not salvation, a passport to everywhere except heaven. This is what mammon is preaching. It's a deceiver. That's why Jesus said in Mark 4.19 that the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches... Choke the word of God, and it becomes unfruitful. It's a deceiver. Deceiver. You're never going to get enough. Now, let me just stop here and say money is not the problem. I have no problem with money. I understand that our world that we live in, the system we live in right now, we need money. I get that. But what you have to understand about this is that money is neutral. It's not good or evil. You can do good with money, but you can also do evil with money. It is neutral, but it is the love of money. That is the root of all evil. I said this years ago, greed is an addiction to unsatisfaction. Because you never get enough. And isn't it crazy? When like, even from, listen, it's not just about even having stacked up cash. It's about what we believe money can get us. Isn't it amazing in our house? Like, I can't tell you truthfully, honestly, how many times we're like, man, we need this thing. And then once we have that, we'll be happy. And then you get it, and that lasts for about 30 minutes. And you start to brainstorm the other thing that needs a renovation. We had the conversation this morning. So Pastor Dwight, Pastor Rick, I need to request benevolence because I'm going to break something in my house. I won't be able to afford to fix it, so I'm going to hope that you'll bail me out. It's deceitfulness. 
You can do mon- good with money or bad with money. I have no problem with money, except when it becomes the primary source of provision you turn to instead of God. Here's why. And listen to this, because this is a sobering truth. Because when you get into the habit of turning to money first instead of God first, it's only a matter of time before you begin to forget God and fall away from your faith. Because you can't serve two masters. God and money cannot be in the first spot. There's only room for one. Listen to what... God, Moses says in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 8, 11 through 20, verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by uh, failing to keep his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, now you're prospering. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have increases then your heart will become lifted up by self-conceit and arrogance, and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Do you understand what, what God is saying here? He's saying, listen, when you start to get comfortable because your needs are met, mammon is going to creep in and start sharing its message with you. Don't believe it. Because when you start to believe mammon, it becomes your master, and you forget my faithfulness as your provider. Verse 15, remember, he led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, thirsty ground where there was no water. It was he who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. He fed you manna in the wilderness. You remember his resources are ones we don't even know? A substance which your fathers did not know so that he might humble you by dependence on him and that he might test you to do good things for you at the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember with profound respect the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore solemnly promised to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, mammon, and serve them and worship them, I testify against you today that you will most certainly perish like the nations which the Lord caused to perish before you so that you, you shall perish because you would not listen to and obey the voice of the Lord your God. Sobering. So how do you serve God instead of mammon? Here's the short answer. Number one, ignore the fear and worry mammon uses to get you to pursue money. Fight that fear. Fight that worry. Now, some of you, just like me, you have legitimate financial needs. We'll talk about that in two weeks. You've got legitimate financial needs. So you're like, are you saying these are not real? No, they're real. But look at two and three. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom. Trust Jesus for his provision. Trust him for his provision. Jesus, after the verse in Matthew 6, where he said, you cannot serve both God and mammon, listen to what he goes on to say, and Pastor Dwight talked about this last week, and I'm hoping that, God, if I could impart to you, I just felt when I was preparing this, God's deep heart to to have you understand how valuable and important you are to him, that he wants to provide for you. He says, you cannot serve both God and mammon. For this reason, I say to you what I'm about to say. Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? What is Jesus saying here? Stop worrying about where your provision is going to come from. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into their barns. They're not out there hustling and grinding. Passion Translation says, 
Do you see them worrying about their existence? And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So Jesus poses this next question to them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you more, are you, are you more, are you less important than the birds? And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. And yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. So then, if God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace. I want you to understand this. He's saying, if God is clothing that which has such a short lifespan, He's actually mindful and considerate of taking care of something that doesn't even have a long life. What about you? Will he not much more clothe you or provide for you, O you of little faith? So do not worry than saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? Or what we will wear for clothing? You know what worry is? A worry, worry is imagining your future without God. It is imagining your future without God. It's removing God and focus solely on yourself and your ability alone. And then he goes on in verse 32. Don't do that. Here's why. Because the Gentiles do that. The unbelievers do that. You know who the unbelievers are? They're the ones that don't know God as Father. For the unbelievers, the Gentiles, eagerly seek all these things. They're looking, they're, they're grasping for that provision. You know on Black Fridays where there's that most popular tool for the Christ, or toy for the Christmas season, and you've ever seen those video clips where people are lining up at the doors till they open, and when they open, they are diving and grasping and clawing and scratching to get the toy. Have you ever seen the videos? The English doesn't even do justice to what Jesus is saying. When it says they eagerly seek those things, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a frenzic, frenzied and frantic existence where you are striving and struggling to get it all for yourself. He says, don't do that. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. You can't serve both God and mammon, so seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all those things will be added to you. In other words, when you put him first, God's going to take care of you. God's going to take care of you. Since the beginning of the year, Allison and I have been, uh, we've had couple of different debts that we've been trying to pay off and uh, one of these debts was it was a, a credit card that had $2,600 on it don't be shocked we're all in there do you know that American credit card debt right now is 96 trillion dollars that's where it's at so it's common everywhere so looking within my own limitations. What am I going to sell? What days am I going to do DoorDash to pay this thing off? Okay. Now, put a whole bunch of stuff on Facebook mar Marketplace. You've probably seen it. It's all worth like $20. So I'm like, if I sell like 20, if I sell 100 things at $25, we'll be good. Like, do I need to like, like, go get blood or like, you know, like, you're, you're, how, many, how many lawns can I mow with my 15-year-old tractor that's zero turn because it doesn't turn? <laughs> there is zero turn in that tractor. It's like, you stop a row and you're like, lift it, lift it. I'm looking within my own limitations. Okay, I'll work on Friday, I'll do some DoorDash on Fridays and, you know, deliver some stuff and I'm hustling and I'm grinding and I'm trying to get it all done. And I'm tired because I ain't making no money. 
It's like that river dried up. You know, Elijah, he was fed by ravens, and it says the river dried up, and he had to go somewhere else. That river dried up. They, I wasn't making no money. I maybe got 10% of what we needed to pay the debt off. So instead of thinking within my own limitations, I start praying. God, and here's how I am. God, I'm not looking for you to drop $2,500 in my lap. I'm looking just for an opportunity to earn the $2,500. Here's why. Because it was Eden, and God put Adam in it and said, steward it. Like, work for it. So I'm not opposed to work. I just need you to open up a door. Because where I'm trying to work ain't working. It ain't making sense. I'm trying to make it make sense. It ain't working. So our piano teacher for our kids comes in one day. He sits down for piano lessons. And he saw some stuff I had done in the house. And he goes, man, I've been trying to get someone to do floors in my house for three years. And I can't find anybody. He goes, I wish I knew somebody that could help me put floors in. I don't care. Listen, I don't care what they ask for payment. I just want to make my wife happy and put those floors down. And I felt like the Lord was like, here's your door. I said, hey, man, I'll go over after the piano lessons, check it out. So I go over to his house, 650 square feet of floor. I don't know how to bid a job like that. So I do what most of us who know better know to do. I called Don Pritchard. <laughs> And he was like, hey, buddy, what's going on? Yeah. Don is the best. Yeah. He is just amazing. So I called him and I said, hey, now this is the interesting thing. I said, hey, um, what do I do in this situation? He said, this is crazy. He said, are you taking up the old floor? I said, yeah. You laying down the new, blah, blah, blah. He was like, do you want to do this job? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but some debt to clean up he goes well if you don't want to do it charge them this amount here's the other thing though God had God had to deal with the reality that I didn't believe I was worth that because my natural was like I'm not worth doing that he said no you do it. This is what Don said. No, you, you, you bid it that way. So I call, <laughs> I call him. I said, hey, it's going to be this amount. God was like, okay. I was like, I got, I was like, what? <laughs> what? So I worked for three and a half days and I made $700 more than the amount I needed. In three and a half days, when I was trying to grind for months, nickel and diming, Facebook marketplace, hustling Craigslist, trying to make it all happen. You know why? Because I thought I was my provider. When you seek first the kingdom, I am just telling you, he will either provide for you or he will provide the door for the means of provision. And it will cost you less time. Three and a half days. Now here's the second question. You going to tithe off of that? Because that's a whole lot of money when I... Hold on, I'm doing the calculations. I'm like... That's a lot of money. Who gave it to you, though? Bill, who gave it to you? You cannot serve both God and mammon. Put your trust in God as provider instead of your ability to grind and hustle and try to make it happen. 
And there's a balancing act, and we'll get to that. But seek first the kingdom, Amen. and everything will be added. Right. Will you stand with me? Jesus, for every person in the room that is struggling to trust in your provision in the area of finances, I pray as you prayed over Peter, and you said, Peter, I have prayed to God that your faith would not fail. I pray for an increase of faith for every person in the room to, dr- to trust you to a greater degree in their finances. God, when they're holding on to the tithe, when they're struggling, thinking, how am I going to make up for what I'm giving? I pray that they would release themselves of the responsibility to do what you can do because you want to demonstrate your love for us by being our provider. So God, Jehovah Jireh, today, I I pray we would trust you. And that we would not believe the marketing and the messaging of mammon. We would choose to seek first the kingdom and trust that everything would be added in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. We hope you were challenged, encouraged, and inspired as you listened to this teaching from God's Word. For more messages or information about our church, please go to www.redeemers.life.